All right, it's good to see you tonight. Thanks for coming back. Uh, I'm not sure this isn't the first time that I've been in this room. Have we been in here, Lisa? I don't remember being in here. So anyway, neat room. Uh, man, y'all did some great things after I left. I'm telling you, some amazing things. So, uh, but listen, we are so glad to be here with you today. We've had a wonderful, wonderful time and uh, going down memory lane and all that stuff and uh, it's, it's been a blessing. We're excited about what God is doing in, in Win Win Baptist Church and, uh, and all. So we're, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Joshua. Joshua is one of my favorite books, especially in the Old Testament and uh, one of the studies that I have uh, done and written for uh, our our men at uh, at Rogers is a study on biblical leadership done it on biblical discipleship and then the second semester's biblical leadership and it's a, a study on the life of Moses as far as a leader and in my estimation Moses is really the greatest leader that ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus and when you really consider what he did what God did through him is is just an amazing story and there are a ton of leadership lessons uh, as we look at that life of Moses. But as we roll down to the point where Moses is about to die and Moses dies, there's a major transition that's going to take place in the leadership in the nation of Israel. And I know you're thinking, well, my goodness, here we're going to talk about this leadership transition thing with the the pastor and all that, and certainly there's application to that, but the, the reality is that life is made up of transitions, isn't it? I mean, you just think about it. You think about, uh, you know, growing up, you transition from uh, high school to the workforce or to college. You, you transition, some, some people get married, they transition from being single to being married. You transition into parenthood, and you have a, a preschooler, and then you have a a toddler and, and an adolescent and a teenager, and then you transition to the empty nest. And you also transition in your work. Uh, you start out and you're working and you move to different places in responsibility and experience and things like that. There are transitions. And then in life, as you get older, you transition uh, from the workforce maybe to a retirement type uh, place in life. And there, there are all kinds of tr- transitions. Transitions really make up our life. I know when you're sharing the gospel, one of the most difficult things in sharing the gospel is to transition from when you're talking just about stuff to where you're talking about Jesus <laughs> and you're talking about spiritual things and, you know, writing out those transitions and what you're going to say exactly and precisely It's very helpful in transition. So today we're going to talk about these transitions. And we're going to talk, and you can apply it to any area of your life, and certainly it applies to our spiritual life. And so I want us to read uh, Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to talk a few minutes about transitions and how God uses transitions in our life that one day He's going to transition us from here on this planet into heaven. And that'll be the most wonderful and the greatest transition. I know some of you aren't signing up tonight for that transition, 
but, uh, and we're not necessarily taking a load tonight, but uh, we need to get ready for that. And it's really the transitions of life are really just a foretaste of an ultimate transition that God's going to make in our life. So if you found Joshua chapter 1, would you please stand with me in honor of the Lord as I read these verses of Scripture. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that it's true. It always accomplishes its purposes, never returning void. And we pray that tonight that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us through the transitions of life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. You know, sometimes when we talk about transitions, it can be uh, problematic. And as we transition from one phase of life to the other, and uh, you know, it's kind of interesting in the, in the world of, of Sunday school, and I guess... Do we call it Sunday school here still? Okay, Sunday school. You know, we changed the name of it, same thing anyway. We call it life group. It's just, it sounds cooler than Sunday school, okay? So anyway, you may want to think about the name change. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, but it's amazing how those transitions, and, and when you're in grade school, it's kind of an exciting time when you have, quote, promotion. You know, promotion is exciting for the children, but it's not so exciting for the adults. Matter of fact, adults get all bent out of shape about that. You know, oh, matter of fact, we don't even do it anymore, do we? And, you know, people get all bent out of shape. Oh, you, the age grade thing. You don't have the age on the doors and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I'll, but can you think of another way to do it? I mean, is there a better way of doing it? I mean, like we could do it by weight, I guess, or something like that. But, but transitions can be problematic. And... And this particular transition that we're looking at is the transition from who I would consider to be the greatest leader that certainly up to this point the nation of Israel had ever known and probably would ever know. I believe he even exceeded David's leadership. And, and, and they were transitioning. Moses, my servant, has died. And so these people are, are facing a crisis from a human perspective. And sometimes the transitions of life, maybe at the death of a spouse, that that is a transition that takes place that is a, of crisis level. Maybe a parent 
dies, maybe a child. It's a, a crisis time, and from that perspective, that transition is very difficult, and it's very hard. And for the nation of Israel, they did not know anything but Moses. Uh, they had griped about him, and they had complained about him, and yet he was all they knew, and ultimately they had followed him. They had followed him out of an Egyptian bondage. They had followed him through a wandering in the wilderness. They had seen the mighty hand of God through the splitting of the, the Red Sea, the, the leadership of, the, uh, of the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, the pro- provision of manna, and the, the provision of the Ten Commandments. The, the d- denial of going into the promised land and experiencing the, the consequence of that. And then also the disappointment in Moses' own life and the fact that Moses himself did not get to go into the promised land. Very difficult thing. It was a, a crisis situation. Moses had led these people all these years. Moses had led these people in miraculous ways. In miraculous things. He, he had loved these people. While he was aggravated many times, he, he interceded on their behalf to the Lord. And he said, Lord, these are your people. <laughs> they are called by your name. And God relented and God would continue to, to work in, in their behalf. And, and, and Moses himself had lost his opportunity to gain the promised land. And that's a whole different study. And I mean, I don't know how you would be on that. I mean, some of, some of us would just pout and uh, fold up our tent and say, well, you're on your own, boys. Uh, I'm not getting to go in. If you can find the way, then have at it. But Moses continued to lead faithfully, own up to the point to where he finished his assignment. Even though he did not experience it, he finished it. And so that leaves us to Joshua. And what appeared to be a crisis was really an opportunity. It was an opportunity, first of all, it was an opportunity for Joshua. And and I would even say and submit to you that was the secondary opportunity. But there was an opportunity for for Joshua to assume the leadership that, that God had prepared him for through all those years. Opportunities are presented in transitions. Opportunities for people to step up, to lead. You know, you can always see situations as either obstacles or opportunities. On our team, we have a team covenant, and there's a few things about our team covenant, and everybody that works at our church, they know these team co- they know each element of that. The, the first one is make it better, and the second one is to stay healthy. It doesn't mean that they abide by them, but anyway, that's what it is, stay healthy. And then... It's go the extra mile. And then the the fourth one is find solutions. You know, there's a lot of value in finding solutions. You know, you've seen the Captain Obvious uh, commercials. You know, I get so frustrated with people that can just point out problems. I'm telling you what, there's nobody that can point out problems better than me. I mean, I'm, I'm better than anybody I know with that. As a matter of fact, I was professionally trained to point out problems. When I was working as an engineer, my job was to point out everything that didn't line up with specifications. I mean, that was my job. I mean, I'm just training. I'm really good at critiquing and criticizing. I mean, it's a gift. I mean, it really is. It's a gift to be able to do that. But you know, it's really not of a lot of value. And on our team, what we say is, listen, if you're going to actually bring value to the team, 
You're going to find solutions. You're not going to point out problems just doing that. Now, you've got to notice. I mean, some people are so airheaded, they don't even know there's a problem. I mean, you understand there's a problem, but the value is in finding solutions. And what appeared to be an obstacle, they had just followed Moses, and, and Moses was their leader, and, and Moses was everything and, and in so many ways. And yet he was no longer there, so what were they going to do? Well, it created an opportunity. It was an opportunity first for Joshua to assume leadership. And he did that. We're going to talk about that. But I want you to notice what I believe was the greatest opportunity was this. It created the opportunity. And I want you to catch this. It created the opportunity for these people to go into the promised land. Because you see, Moses wasn't going into the promised land. If they continued to follow Moses, they'd have followed him on Mount Nebo where he died, and he died climbing. I mean, full of vigor and all of that, and he, he died climbing. But if they would have followed Moses, they'd have followed him on Mount Nebo, and they'd still be stuck on Mount Nebo. And although Moses did not experience the promised land physically, we know Moses experienced the real promised land. This is more important than even the physical promised land. But the opportunity that was presented by Moses' death was that these people they were going to get into the promised land. And that was more important than really Joshua's opportunity. Because you see, God's plan is always about the people. It's always about the people. Jesus is coming back for who? The church. He's not coming back for individuals that are isolated. And I think we've, we've taken the priesthood of the believer, and I certainly believe in the priesthood of the believer, but we have... Uh, taken it to a degree that is not accurate theologically because the instruction, even the instructions we looked at this morning were instructions that you all will do the works I do and you all will do greater works than these. It's not that some individual is going to do it, but, but you all together, the collective you all. And God's concern and God's plan and God's blessing and God's promise was fulfilled in the fact that the people... We're going to go into the land. Not just Joshua, but the people. And, and if you remember at the, the front end of the gig, when they went there in Numbers chapter 13, they, they got there, and, and Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that said, hey, we can go in. And the, the other ten said, no, you can't go in. And so, and, and so all those other folks had to die off. But there was a new crop of folks. It wasn't just that Joshua and Caleb were going to get to go in, but... The people of God were going to come in. That's the plan of God. God's plan is for, for people, for multitudes, from every tribe and every nation, for them to, to go and, and be a part of, of, of God's plan and God's kingdom. That's the plan of God. You know, every once in a while we run into people that, uh, and I, I ran into this at, at, at three of the four churches I pastored anyway, uh, of people say, but I just don't like it. I mean, when I was in Truman, there was a lady. I mean, we went from 75 to about 250 in three years. But, I mean, but you know, 250 is not like 2,000 or something. And she, I said, the church is just getting too big. You know, it's just getting too big. I'm like, well, my goodness, honey. I said, are you, uh, and you know, I don't call anybody honey. So, you know, that's a made-up story. But, uh, <laughs> so, I said, well, what is heaven going to be like? I had a lady in Rogers, that I was calling the people at visit the church, and I, I called her, and she, as soon as she answers, I said, well, I, my name's Wes George, I'm the pastor at First Wes. I just want you to know I'm not coming back. 
I said, well, I, well, I'm sorry. Is there anything that happened? It's, I didn't, well, I'm not coming back. There's too many people at that church. I'm not coming. Well, could I talk? I'm not coming back. Click. She just hung up on me just like that. That may not be your vision of a lot of people, but I'm telling you what, that's God's vision. And, and the fact is that in all eternity, God is going to flood and populate His city. You don't like the city, right? Guess what? You better get, get to where you like a city because that's where you're going to live in eternity. It's that called a heavenly city with every tribe and every tongue and every nation blood-bought the blood of Christ on the cross. And He's going to bring them, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, that He's gathering them from all the nations. He's gathering them. And that's what that's the vision really that, that Jesus casts for us of ministry and mission. That we can be a part of this multitude around the throne throughout all eternity, worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It created a crisis from a human perspective, but it created an opportunity from a divine perspective. Let's look at some of the qualities of this leader. And when we talk about this leader, we're talking about a leader that could fill in during an interim time. Leaders in this room. We're not talking about, you know, the new pastor that might come necessarily. I mean, it could be, and it certainly should apply. It's talking about right now, how do we provide leadership during transitions? How is it that we step up? What, what kind of people do, do God, does God use? Well, one, he uses a man that is appointed and anointed by God. And we see, and it could be a man, it could be a woman, but in this particular case, it's a man, and, and, and it's, it's Joshua. Joshua's not a, a, a Johnny-come-lately. He was not elected by some popularity contest. But you see, the, the, the historian Josephus, he, he speculates that, that Joshua was with uh, Moses even 40 years in Egypt. So 40 years in Egypt. 40 years uh, in the wilderness wandering. And we have a record of, of his, uh, what he was doing. And, and in verse 5 it says, As I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And listen, Jesus has promised us that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That he has told us that I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the same way that, that God is speaking to Joshua, and he says, As the, the way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Listen, God's saying that to you. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I want you to know, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Nothing will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm telling you, you cannot, you cannot lose what God has secured for you. I mean, your bad attitude can't lose it. Uh, you can't lose it. Because He has promised that He will guard it. He will keep it. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. In our weakness, in our difficulty. And so we have the promise of the presence of God. The same promise that Joshua has, you have today. That God is with you. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? If if God is going to, to stand with you, it really doesn't matter who's against you. But I tell you what, if God's against you, it really doesn't matter who's for you either. So it's important that God is with you. And we see that. It's a man who is anointed and appointed by God. Also, we see the description of Moses, and Joshua would be the same way, as servant. Moses, my servant, 
is dead. And Joshua was a servant of the people. And to be a servant of God implies that you are teachable. Are you teachable? Are you the smartest man in the world? Smartest man in this room? Is there anything you can learn? We'll say, well, sure. Well, well, well tell me something you've learned recently. <laughs> it's kind of like, do you think you're a sinner? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, tell me, name a sin. You don't have to name it to me. I really don't want you to anyway. But name a sin that, that you've confessed lately. Listen, if we're teachable, it means that we're learning something. And a servant is teachable. A servant is humble before the Lord. A servant serves. And, and that's what, what, what Joshua was. And he, he served Moses. In the 17th chapter of Exodus, he was out there fighting the Amalekites while Moses was praying and Aaron and Hur were holding up his hands. You see, the, the work of God, those who are the prayer warriors and, and those uh, the, Moses being the leader. But I'll tell you what, there was somebody down there fighting the Amalekites. There was somebody down there getting their hands dirty, getting blood on their hands. There was somebody out there doing it. And, and that was Joshua. We see that he was accompanied, uh, he accompanied Moses even to Mount Sinai. He experienced and saw the golden calf. He was a tent of meeting, the, the tabernacle. He was an attendant there. He, he surveyed this promised land along with, with Caleb and the other leaders of the tribes. Listen, he was a great learner, and if many people aspire to be a great leader, and, and yet the Bible doesn't say so much about leadership as it does about ser- being a servant. And God calls us to be a servant, and, and, and in transitions, we desperately need people who will serve, serve Christ, serve God's people. And that's what Joshua was doing. He was leading these people, but in essence, he was serving them. He was creating a pathway So that these people could cross into a promised land, to a better future, to a land that had been promised to them by God. So that they might realize the promises that God has for their life. I tell you, that's what a spiritual leader does. A spiritual leader is exhilarated with the prospects of seeing people know Christ. Seeing people grow in their relationship with Christ. They... they, they're, they have the, the, they're encouraged and, and they're buoyed and they're lifted up by just the prospects of, of seeing someone else take steps towards Christ. And that's exactly what Joshua was called to do. He was called to help people. And you see, every aspect of ministry that God calls us to, that God calls me to, that God calls you to, every aspect of that ministry can be easily summarized in helping people. We're helping people. I mean, Jesus is coming back for people. He's not coming back for buildings or trees or parking lots or anything like that. He's coming back for people. And so we should invest everything we have in the two things that live forever. Only two things live forever. People and the Word of God. Those are the only two things that live forever. People and the Word of God. So we should invest our lives in that. And we should help people. Help people come to Christ. Help people towards Christ's likeness. Help people grow in their relationship with Christ. Help people that are in the midst of a transition, in the midst of grief, in the midst of of difficulty. Come alongside them. Point them to Christ. Lead them closer to Christ. Because you see, Jesus can comfort their heart. Jesus is the promised land. Jesus is is the one that we, we 
point people to and we commend people to. We also see that, that Joshua was a man who follows God. He followed God. He followed Moses as Moses followed God. And the best way he could tell, Moses was following God. He saw the hand of God on Moses. And so he served God by serving Moses for all those years. And lo and behold, it was at that ripe old age of about 80. How old was it when Moses, how old was Moses when he saw the burning bush? He was 80. And it amazing? some of y'all, y'all ready to quit? My goodness, God's just about to get started in you. I mean, you've been wandering around the wilderness for a long time. You're just about to get out of the wilderness. It's too soon to quit. It's too soon to cash it in. I mean, you're just now getting to the point. Say, well, we don't live to be 120. Well, just take a third of your life. I mean, if you live to be 90, just make the math easy. You know, if, you, if you're 60, you're just now getting started. You're just now getting to a place where you've got enough experience, got enough wounds that God has healed, seen God do enough miracles and do enough deliverance and all of that. You're just now getting to a place where you can believe and trust God and, and God can use you. Some of y'all are ready to hang it up. Some of you are ready to quit. You're just now getting ready to get started. I, I've shared this, and especially as I'm approaching 60 a lot more rapidly than I wish I was. Uh, although I, I do like that as, instead of the alternative. I, I'll, I'll confess that. But I've shared this because I, I want it to be prophetic for me. But the most fruitful years of Adrian Rogers' ministry were from 60 to 70. He, I mean, we relocated the church to a new town a hundred million dollar relocation and the people piled in and the salvations and all of that, retired all that debt, all of that thing happened during those years. Listen, God is not limited by our age. God wants to use us. He wants to use us in the transitions of life. And, and here we see this is Joshua, a man who follows God. I want to encourage you to, to follow God. He was willing to, to stand alone. We saw that in the minority report. He was not swayed by what everybody else said. Everybody else said, oh, woe is me, boy. This, this thing's going down the tubes. I mean, we better not go in there, man. There are giants in there. And Joshua and Caleb, they said, uh, the, Lord, the Lord will deliver us. The Lord will, will place them in our hands. And you know what? They were right. They were right. Ten were wrong. And because of that, a whole generation died in the wilderness. So never think that the, there's not a consequence to our decisions. Sometimes there can be extreme consequences. You know, there's always a price to pay. And that's why Jesus, he told us to count the costs. He said, count the costs. Before you build a, a building, count, the builder counts the costs. Before a, a king goes into battle, a warrior goes into battle, you've got to count the costs. It's costly to follow Christ. It's costly to follow Christ. It, it costs you to follow Him. But it costs you to not follow Him too. It always costs. And Joshua, he paid the price of wandering 40 years in the wilderness based upon the decision of other people. But God in His goodness towards Joshua and Caleb allowed them to go into that promised land. Also, we see that that Joshua is a man who understands. He understands his assignment. Look at verse 11. It says, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are to cross the Jordan to go to the 
to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving to you to possess it. He never lost sight of what the goal was. The goal was the land. That was the goal. The goal wasn't to be some kind of super spiritual person. That was the goal. Now some people spend all their time trying to go deep in a Bible study and they're disobeying God the whole time by not making disciples of all the nations and they're not doing the things they know to do and they're trying to invent things. I mean, I, I, I get this all the time with people and especially certain theological persuasions. I mean, they just want to go and read the Bible and go deep. Listen, I read the Bible. Listen, I gave 10 years of my life to study the Bible. And I got a PhD, stands for post hole digger, in, in, in New Testament. I mean, I, I mean, you want to go deep? I tell you, I've been as deep as, any, as you can get. And, I mean, and you've got to come up for air every once in a while on some of that stuff. But there's got to be an implementation. And, and it, it wasn't about what Joshua knew. It wasn't about what Joshua saw. It was about what Joshua did. What is it that we're wanting to hear from Jesus one day. Well done. Not well thought of. Not well intentioned. But well done. Good and faithful servant. James tells us that there should be works that accompany our faith. And so he understood his assignment. But also what we see about Joshua is that he was a, a person who could bring people with him. He could bring people with him. And here we see in verse 16 it says, and they answered Joshua saying, these are all the people, they answered Joshua saying, all that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. I think it's really obvious <coughs> to, to anybody that's got their eyes open and has any degree of sensitivity, that we live in a day where there is a tremendous vacuum of leadership, especially politically. There, there is a vacuum of leadership, especially on the national scene. And, and it's been in existence for, for a while that we don't have anyone that can bring us together. I mean, it, we're so divided and, uh, in all of that. And you see, that's what a, a leader brings people together. They find common ground. And when I say that, I certainly don't mean that you compromise. You don't compromise the truth of God's Word. You don't compromise the exclusivity of, of Jesus and salvation. You don't compromise biblical marriage. You don't compromise those things. But you have an ability because of the Spirit of God that is in every believer of bringing people together. Listen, it's really not somebody bringing people together. It's God bringing His people together. And we see that Joshua was able to bring the people together. And why was that? Because all the people, what did they want? They wanted to go in the promised land. That's what they wanted to do. Now do you think he could have brought them together to go march up Mount Nebo and follow Moses to his grave? Maybe, maybe not. But you see, God had placed it in the heart of His people he had placed it in the heart of his people to, to go to the promised land. And because he had placed that in the heart of his people, then, then they were willing to, to follow Joshua because Joshua said, this is where we're going. We're going to the promised land. 
And when you and I, in, in transitions or, or wherever we find ourselves, and, and the, the kind of people that God uses, they understand the mission of God. And they understand that God is already on the move. God is already out there. God is already working and, and operating. And He's doing what He does. God is doing that. And as the book of Ecclesiastes says, God has placed eternity in their hearts. That's why... Our missionaries will go into some of these villages sometimes and people that have never heard the gospel, not one time. And they hear about a God that loves them. And all they've thought about is a God who wants to stamp them out. And they've provided idol worship. They've provided burning altars and things like that, trying to appease this God that they fear and wrath. And then they hear about a God who loves them. So much that He doesn't wait for them to get to Him, but He comes to them in grace and mercy and loves them because they can't get to Him. And I'm telling you what, that is radically different than every other world religion out there. The gospel is Christ coming to people instead of people coming to God. And that's why when people hear that message, it resonates in their heart. And that's why villages will come to faith in Christ. When they hear it for the very first time. Because they've never heard anything as radical as that. Because you see, God has placed eternity in their hearts. And God uses people who can bring people along. Listen, it's, it's an easy thing to tear something up. You know it? It's an easy thing to, to tear a building down. I mean, you don't even have to have a lot of skill to do that. I'm going to tell you what, it takes a lot of skill to build something. It takes a, a lot of skill. It takes an architect. It takes an engineer. It takes interior designers and, and all of that. And skilled people working together in, in, in tandem together to, to bring about the creation of a building. Anybody can tear something down, but only those who are gifted and only those who, under the, the hand of God, when it comes to spiritual building up of people, that they can bring people together. Real quickly in closing, the people that God uses, and we see these people were people who were committed to following God. The best way they knew how they were following God, and, and following God in that day and time was following Moses and following Joshua. They were also committed to helping other people follow God. And that's so important. You see, this journey is not just about you. As a matter of fact, it's a sign of maturity when it's not about you at all. When it's about others. When you care more about reaching others. And those of you, and there are many of us in this room today that have kind of gotten a little bit older. Maybe a little gray in our hair. Maybe a lot of gray in our hair. Maybe no hair. <laughs> Let me just say to you that your purpose in life is to pass the baton of the faith to the next generation. That, that's the purpose. You may not like that purpose. Some of y'all are saying, well, what's in it for me? I don't know. I mean, maybe nothing. I don't know. I mean, but that's... And we're not here. We're not here for you and me. We're not here for you and me. And I'm leaving tonight, so I mean, you know, I don't care if you like it or not. So anyway, uh, but, but seriously, I, I tell this to the folks at Rogers. I tell my generation, the older generation, we are not here for us. We've had our chance. We've had our chance. Man, we've had a great chance. We've had a great run. 
We are here for the next generation. And we need to position ourselves. That doesn't mean that we quit serving. It doesn't mean we sit on side. No, we position the next generation through our prayer, through our leadership, through our training, through our investment, through, through serving alongside young people, through our giving. Yes, our giving. All of those things. We are doing that to position the next generation so that, that they can go into the promised land. So that they can, they can step in. Listen, Moses did not get into the promised land. But you know what? He made sure that a whole lot of people did. He made a lot sure. And, he, and here we are thousands of years later talking about someone who did that. We need to help people through these transitions. When Baptist Church, you can be full of hope today. Because Jesus promises that He will build His church. He doesn't even need you to build it. He doesn't need me to build it. He doesn't need any, any of us to build it. Jesus is going to build His church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, we have the promise of God that He will complete the work He started. Being confident, it's my life verse, being confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We have the promise of God that He will not leave us. He will not leave us it, may seem like He does, but He says He won't do that. He has saved us. If He has invested His Son and His death in our salvation, He is not going to abandon us. We will not and cannot sin away the day of our salvation if we've truly been saved. It will not happen. God will keep us. And God promises us that His gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Folks, you've got to keep giving people the gospel. You say, well, they just don't believe it. Well, have they heard it? If they hear it, some will believe. Because it is a powerful message. And God also promises that if we will pray in His name, that He will do what we ask. These are great days. These are great days in Rogers. These are great days in Wynn. These are great days to be alive. Unique days <laughs> that we can serve Christ, that we can share the gospel, that we can see what God is doing as He sweeps through the nations, saving lost people, bringing about the culmination of all history so that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to the whole world and then the end will come. In some ways, we have an opportunity to usher in the second coming of Christ. And as I mentioned, that eschatological hinge based upon our prayer, there's also an eschatological hinge based upon our obedience in sharing the gospel and helping other people to not just get into a physical land, but we know that this promised land is a spiritual picture and is used throughout Scripture of the promised land that we will spend eternity in. And that's the transition that we're really looking forward to. That's the transition where God will take this corruptible and He will make it incorruptible. He will take this mortal and He will make it immortal. And He will do far beyond that which we could imagine.